0: All right, well, welcome to Genesis. How are you guys feeling? Good? All right, we can do a little better. How are you guys feeling? Yeah, that was a little better. All right, well, my name is Mike, and uh, I'm the pastor here, and at Genesis, we believe in having open doors and open hearts, and so I hope that when you came through the door tonight that you felt welcome, that you felt comfortable, that you felt invited, and I also hope that you came with an open heart because you've been prayed and prepared for it, so we're glad you're here. Uh, this month at Genesis is already been great. Uh, last week we had an amazing night of worship. Were you guys here for that? Many of you were. Yeah. And so we actually got to, to debut a song that we wrote last week and then we, we just did it again. And so that's amazing. And so this month has been awesome. And, uh, and so as we continue this month, we've got some more things that we are rolling out for you this year. Uh, and as, as, we, as we begin 2019, I believe, I believe attending church is highly important. For a follower of Jesus, uh, and, and, and whether that be here on a Tuesday or a Sunday service, somewhere wherever you go, or both. Uh, but however, I, I believe that following Jesus demands more than just one church service uh, or a church service once or twice a week. And so, you know, we have our Tuesday night services that, you know, we, we want to make as excellent as possible and as awesome as possible. and And we love Tuesday nights, but for this year, we wanted to give you opportunities to grow your faith outside of this room this year. And so tonight, before we get into the message, I wanted to talk to you about one of those opportunities. So for a young adult that is following Jesus, one of the best things for you is to be discipled. One of the best things for you as a young adult following Jesus is to be discipled, to have someone take you under their wing, to have someone mentor you, give you advice, and show you what it's like to follow Jesus, not just in your late teenage years or in your 20s, but what it looks like to follow Jesus for the long haul. And research shows it that the biggest thing, the most important thing for a young adult, the best way for them to hold on to their faith is to be partnered with an older person within the church to disciple them. And so the future of the church is for young people to get discipled. The future of the, uh, of the, of the church is for young people to get raised up because we are the future of the church. And so it's so important to be discipled. And so what we've done is we put together for you a, Discipleship Initiative that we are launching tonight. And so basically what this is, that if you want it, you can take advantage of it. So we have this basic form that you can fill out. And basically you can just check boxes to say, this is where I wanna grow. And what we'll do, we're gonna partner you with somebody in, in, uh, in Northwood that's older, further down the road that will help you grow in those areas. And so it's basically like a six week commitment, once a week for six weeks. And so this is something that's permanently open to you. And so you can sign up tonight, You can sign up next week or whenever you're ready to take that step. But this is something we wanted to put into your hands because we believe wholeheartedly in discipleship. It's the model that Jesus gave us. And so we wanted you to have that opportunity uh, at your disposal. And so we have those forms tonight and going forward. Sound good? Awesome. Great, so uh, with that said, we're gonna jump into the message tonight. So if you would pray with me and then we will get going. God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for uh, the incredible uh, opportunity and privilege that it is to gather together as a body of believers in this place, God, and we wanna settle for nothing less than seeing you glorified. And so, God, we thank you that uh, the flower fades and the grass withers, but your word remains forever. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us tonight and we'd be closer to you on the way out than we were coming in. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, cool. So we're starting a series tonight called Church on the loose, church on the loose. And so what I wanna do first is to paint the, I wanna paint the problem for you. I wanna paint the problem for you tonight, and tonight we're gonna find a solution to it. I believe as the church, we have caged ourselves within walls. I believe that we have caged ourselves as the church within four worship songs and a message. I believe oftentimes as the church, we have caged ourselves within the pastor's faith that we're content with coming and going to church, we're content with coming to church to check off the box, we're so easily stuck in the mud of going through the motions. Would you guys agree that you feel this way? Oftentimes, like, man, there's got to be more to this whole following Jesus thing than just coming to church. Would you guys agree? And so we have contained the, the church, and you know, and with the best intentions, not, nothing that we try to do on purpose, but a lot of times we contain the church to a time and a place and a location, when God wanted it to be so much more. He wanted us to be a body of believers, a body of like-minded people that are united with one purpose, and that's to see the fame of Jesus reach the ends of the earth. And so we've we've settled for something so small when God wants it to be so much more. And so when we concentrate more on the idea of church, more than we do instead of uh, being the church, what we have done, we've put ourselves on short leashes when God wants us to be on the loose. We have settled for something so small. And so as followers, we, uh, followers of Jesus, we often live our lives like we're contained in this Christian zoo. We're contained in this Christian zoo called church sometimes when God wants us to be in the wild. I know at, uh, Yellowstone National Park is famous for telling people not to feed the bears. And the reason they tell them not to feed the bears is because when, when humans start feeding the bears, the bears start to become dependent on the food that the humans give them and not dependent on their ability to feed themselves. And so when people feed the bears, the bears die. The bears starve when people feed the bears. And so when people, uh, and in the same way, you know, we get so used to coming to church to be fed that we haven't learned to feed ourselves And if we were left to, we'd starve. Listen to this quote by Dorothy L. Sayers. This is a quote that I'm probably gonna say every week of this series, because I love this. She's a Christian writer from around the same time as C.S. Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings. This is what she said. She said, we have efficiently paired the claws of the Lion of Judah, talking about Jesus, certified him meek and mild, and recommended him as a fitting household pet for feeble priests and religious old ladies. In other words, we've taken the Lion of Judah, this all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, untamable God, and we've treated him like a house cat. Jesus is worth so much more than what we're giving him. And so throughout, throughout this month, we're gonna talk about how to take the leash off, how to open the cage door, and how to be the church on the loose. So before we get to the scripture, let me ask you a question to start the conversation tonight. Is your faith your own? We just got done painting the picture of the problem. Tonight we're going to talk about one of the solutions, and that starts with that question. Is your faith your own? Do you take personal responsibility for your faith? Do you have your own skin in the game? Have you taken it upon yourself to grow and mature your faith? Is your faith your own. That's something to think about as we move forward. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And while you're doing so, I'll give you some context. So the book of Acts is a, a narrative uh, of the early church that was birthed after the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It was uh, birthed when the Holy Spirit was given to believers. And at this time, the, the gospel was spreading quickly, uh, and the church was growing quickly. And so when we pick up the story in Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul has been traveling around, and he's actually in a place called Ephesus, which he, you know, he would write to them in the, the letter to the Ephesians. Um, and so he's spreading the gospel, and the Holy Spirit was performing miraculous signs and wonders through him. And because of that, people were taking notice. So let's read. This is, the first two, uh, this is uh, Acts 19, 11 to 12. The first two verses we'll read tonight. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Okay, so this is interesting to read, right? As so we see that the Holy Spirit had manifested his presence so strongly on Paul that even objects that Paul had touched had the evidence of the Holy Spirit on them, which is crazy. So let's keep reading this is the next two verses. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. So we see that some itinerant Jewish exorcists, so seven sons of a priest named Sceva, uh, noticed that this name of Jesus had power in it. And so they wanted to give it a shot. And I find it interesting that in those times, there was even such a thing as itinerant exorcists or traveling exorcists. You know, nowadays we have traveling speakers, traveling nurses, traveling, uh, traveling salesmen. But in this day, they had traveling exorcists, okay? And so they're trying to invoke the power of the name of Jesus over demons. But notice what they were saying. They said, I command you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul Proclaims. And so let's keep reading and see how that works out for him. This is the next two verses. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. So the sons of Sceva try the name of Jesus on this evil spirit, and the evil spirit replies, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but who in the world are you? And the evil spirit jumped on them and humiliated them and basically charged them out of the house. And that, that scene tonight will be the crux of the message. But what I wanna do, let's read the last few verses, let's see how the story ends, and we're gonna come right back to that. This is verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. I bet it did. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the news of what happened spread to the whole area, and it led to the name of Jesus being praised and being glorified, and it led to people confessing their sins and, and saying, this is, this is what we do. We don't wanna do that anymore, and it says that the word of the Lord continued to increase and, impre- and prevail mightily. Now, let's go back. Let's go back and talk about what happened to the sons of Sceva, because I believe that we have a lot in common with these guys, okay? So here's the first thing I wanna talk about. Where did they go wrong? What, so what, what, why did things go so badly for these guys? I believe the root of their issue is similar to an issue that, that we have oftentimes. They were trying to get rid of this evil spirit, and what did they say? They said, I command you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. They didn't know Jesus. They didn't believe in Jesus. All they knew was that this name of Jesus had power in it, and so they wanted to try it for themselves. So in other words, they were bandwagoners. They were trying to use the name of Jesus to advance their own agenda. They were trying to use the name of Jesus because it was popular. They wanted to use the name of Jesus because they they thought it was a strategy for success. They wanted to use the name of Jesus because they saw it working for other people, and so they wanted to see if it would work for them too. And so if we are not owning our faith, if we're not taking personal responsibility for it, if we don't have any skin in the game, we're approaching our faith in a similar way. Yeah, maybe you're not trying to cast out evil spirits, but in the same way, you might have a knowledge of Jesus, of the name of Jesus that is not your own. One that may be in your head that's not in your heart. And so just as these guys said, by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, by not owning our faith, we could say the same thing. By the Jesus whom mom proclaims, by the Jesus whom dad proclaims, Proclaims, by the Jesus whom grandma proclaimed, by the Jesus whom the pastor proclaims. Do you know Jesus for yourself, or do you just are you dependent on something else that someone has told you? What form of Jesus do you know? And here's the terrifying truth that we see in this story tonight: that if your faith is not your own, the enemy sees right through it. If your faith is not your own, the enemy sees Right through it. Listen to what the evil spirit tells them. He says, "Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you?" I read this and I, I can't help but think personally. Could this could this be said to me? Is is Satan concerned at all with what I'm doing with my life? Am I doing anything that intimidates or scares the enemy? I wrestled with a story that I wanted to share tonight because. I feel like it illustrates this point so clearly. And so I'll give, you, I'll give you the version that I could share with you. I had a guy, uh, I had an encounter with a guy not too long ago uh, that someone close to him had told me that they believed him to be possessed. And he was at a church service that I was at, and I had an encounter with him. And uh, from what I, and I went and talked to some people afterwards, and um, and from what, first of all, that I've read in the Bible. Second of all, from what I've talked when I talked to these people, the encounter that I had was relatively uh, relatively tame compared to how it can be. Um, and so, and, and I wrestled with sharing the story because I know this is a little. This may seem a little out there. This may seem a little uh, heebie-jeebie to you guys. Um, I shared a story kind of like this, not in, in a similar supernatural uh, theme a while back, and I had someone because I kind of tried to excuse it away and I had someone come up to me after service and say, hey, God is supernatural. Don't excuse the supernatural. And I said, okay. So I will be sharing things from now on. Um, and so so basically, uh, I had an encounter with this guy and like I said, someone close to him had told me, hey, he, you know, he may be possessed. That's what we believe is going on. And the night ended, we kind of moved on. And uh, after that, for the days that followed, really weird things started happening to me. And I, I, don't, I can't go into like too much detail, and, but basically I had, uh, I got, I really freaked out at my house one night, and then another night I had a, a certain dream, and then the, uh, another night I had a third, or a second dream that I'll, I'll share with you. I basically was laying in, my, laying in my bed and I felt these arms coming around and trying to grab me and pull me down. And so I wake up in the middle of this dream and I just sing worship songs so I fall back asleep, you know? And it freaked me out. And I, and I didn't even tell my wife about that until today. I, I went and talked to other people because I was like, she lives where that happened. Like, I don't wanna like freak her out, you know what I mean? And so I was like, I've never had anything happen like this before, but it was because all of a sudden I got into an arena that I wasn't used to being in and all of a sudden the enemy starts messing with me. And it's, like I said, it's not something that I was used to, it's something that happens to me all the time. But obviously, things got stirred up, okay? Things got stirred up. And so my point with that is that we have to be okay with stirring things up in the name of Jesus. We have to be okay with stirring things up in the name of Jesus. And so as Christians, if we are not targets for the enemy, then we have yet to step into what God has for our life. If we are not targets for the enemy, then we have yet to step into what God wants for our life as long as we are apathetic, armchair, passive Christians, the enemy has nothing to worry about. Why? Because there's nothing to oppose. There's nothing to defeat. There's nothing to try to stop. The enemy has us right where he wants us if we are caged in our Christian zoo, on our leashes, and unable to feed ourselves. And so I believe it is due time that a generation of Christians breaks free from that, and storms the gates of hell like we've been called to do? How differently would our lives look if we, didn't live, if we didn't live like we were restrained or toned down or subdued by religion and rules and regulations? What if we lived like we were truly set free by the blood of Jesus and that the Holy Spirit was truly alive inside of us? How would things change if we, were, if we felt like church wasn't contained to a time and place, but we lived like we were truly on The loose, in the wild, nothing held back. I heard a pastor say once, and this was his quote, he said, Jesus said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against us, but he didn't say we wouldn't be picking parts of it out of our teeth. In other words, hell's not gonna win. Satan's not gonna win. We have the ultimate victory in Christ. But at the same time, we have been called and empowered to fight for the name of Jesus, to see our schools changed, to see our communities changed, to see our workplaces changed, to bring life where there's death, to bring light where there's darkness. I don't want us to declaw the line of Judah in our lives to where we think we serve this toned down and soft and subdued and meek and mild God. The Jesus that saved us is not a house cat. He's alive and he's passionate and he's untamed and he wants his followers, he wants the church to be the same. And so let me ask you tonight, is the enemy concerned at all with you? Are you doing anything that scares the enemy? If you spent your whole life caged up and fenced in, tonight's the night to make the decision to own your faith Could he say to you, man, your mom and your pastor and your dad and your grandma, all of them I know and recognize, but who are you? What have you done? I would encourage you to resolve in your heart tonight that your walk with Jesus isn't on the shoulders of your parents, it isn't on the shoulders of your grandparents, and it isn't on the shoulders of your pastor. It is on your shoulders. Nobody can take your place in the kingdom of God, and nobody can have a relationship with Jesus for you. You've got to own your faith. So I wanted to end tonight on a uh, a clear illustration of this for you. Uh we're all familiar with going shopping, right? Any girls like to shop? Guys like to shop. So we're familiar with going shopping, getting new clothes. Uh you you get, you know, you you go and you try something on. You go to the dressing room, whatever you do, find your size. You go in, you try it on, you like it, and you're like, okay, I'm going to buy it. And so you go up to the counter, and you give them the money, you get the item, you know, you make the transaction. And Then you can always return it, right? If, if, if something changes, you can always return it as long as what? You leave the tags on, right? As long as you leave the tags on. All for the sake of convenience and stellar customer service. So I went I went uh, shopping today, and I bought a new shirt to wear tonight. And uh, it just so happens that I left the tags on. And uh, and so that means I could take it back, right? If it doesn't fit, I could take it back. If I decide, nah, it's not really in style anymore, I could take it back. Or maybe I don't really look as good as I thought in it so I can take it back. Or, you know, I'm just not sold on the color. I can, take it, I can take it back. Isn't it so true that we treat our faith like this? That, man, if I think, okay, if I think it's no longer in style for me to follow Jesus, I'll just, I'll just take it back. And, and man, if I, if I change my mind, I can, take it back. If, if I all of a sudden feel like, man, things are getting a little hard, I can take it back. Or if I feel like, man, you know, I just don't feel it anymore. My feelings aren't there anymore. I can just take it back. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die for your convenience to say, oh yeah, I'll have my faith when it's convenient. I'll have my faith when it's comfortable. I'll have my faith when it feels right, and when I'm not not feeling it, when I don't feel like I'm, oh, I didn't wake up on the right side of the bed this morning, so I'm just gonna set my faith to the side. That's not what Jesus died for. He died for you to take the tags off your faith and rip them off. Own your faith. There's no taking it back. When Jesus went to the cross and he died a sinner's death after he lived his perfect life and rose again, he owned our sin. He didn't die for us to be held back. He didn't die for us to be caged in or to piggyback off the the shoulders of our parents' faith. He wants us to own our faith in him. And so maybe it's time we rip the tags off our faith tonight to say, come hell or high water, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health. God, I'm all in. Have your way in my life. I'm not taking back my faith. Even if my feelings change, even if culture changes, even if sometimes I don't feel like it, I'm not taking my faith back. I'm following Jesus wherever it takes me. And thank God for those who have introduced us to faith in Jesus. But it is time we grow up and own our faith for ourselves. Let's own our faith. Stand up with me. The band's gonna come back up. As you leave here tonight, I know that you do not have to be confined, contained, or watered down in your relationship with Jesus. He has set you free. He has brought you life. And so it's time we started living like it. Amen? So I'd encourage you, step out of the cage tonight. Do not feel restrained. Don't hold back. Rip the tags off your faith tonight. Make the decision to own your faith and let's start storming the gates of hell like we've been called to do. Let's start giving the enemy something to be scared of. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for the sacrifice you made, God, that allows us to be set loose. God, you gave us your Holy Spirit and you sent us out. God, you didn't send us out to be confined to a time, place, building, location, God, you sent us out to be on the loose, to be in the wild, not held back. So God, I pray tonight will be the night that we rip the tags off our faith to say, God, we're owning it. We don't wanna take it back. We don't even want the option to take it back. No matter how our feelings change, no matter how our mind may change, no matter how culture changes, we're not taking it back. We're owning our faith. We're growing up tonight. We're ripping the tags off and we're giving Hell, something to be scared of. In Jesus' name, amen.